welcome to the new podcast, Gains for Girls. Um, the goal of this podcast, we're going to be sharing perspective from elite athletes, medical professionals, um, policy experts, really just people who these cultural issues that are plaguing America, um, people who are having to deal with these. Um, we are going to, the overall mission is to spread awareness and ultimately spread truth. Our first guest today is a woman I am so excited to talk to. Her name is Sharon Davies. Um, she's a three-time Olympian. She was an Olympian as young as 13 years old. And she has an interesting perspective to this issue of males competing in women's sports based off her experience in the 1980 Olympics of competing against the East Germans. Okay, so Sharon, I am so, so excited to have you on. I've been dying to talk with you. First and foremost, I've admired you for a long time, my whole life, strictly based off of your accomplishments in swimming. But now, of course, I have so much to look up to you for. Um, I also, recently, you published a book, which is phenomenal. I learned so much about you in the book. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you as well that uh, my husband, he's from England. My mother-in-law, she still lives in Crawley, and she must be your biggest fan. Um, she's oh. going to die that I'm even talking to you. Um, so really great things. And so I just wanted to thank you, first and foremost, for coming on. Uh, and thank you. I mean, you know, it's a tough thing to be outspoken at the moment, isn't it? And it's an even tougher thing, I think, when you're young, as young as you are. And, and you know, you were an athlete. I don't know if you've taken a break or you finished with swimming or whether you might fancy coming back again later on, but whatever. It is much harder when you're a little bit younger. I had 40 years of working and, and earning money. And obviously the whole East German thing meant that I had this huge thing that I never wanted to see happen again. So I have my own reasons for, for being vocal and, and you have yours. And I think, you know, between us and a lot of other wonderful women, we are pushing back and we are making a difference. And, it's, and you know, it's it's good. It's important. No doubt about that. Before we get into the East German stuff, first of all, what I've noticed in this conversation your accomplishments tend to get lost in the mix. Um, and as I mentioned, you've ac accomplished some of the most incredible things. You were breaking barriers, um, especially in the sport of swimming. And so would you mind just going over a few of your favorite accomplishments, some of the things you're most proud of? Ooh, um, well, I mean, I suppose my whole career was very much, um, you know, torpedoed by the East German era, which was in the 70s and the 80s. So it literally covered the whole of my time that I was competing. So I, had it not been for East Germans, I would have been European champion at 14. And then I was double Commonwealth champion at 15. And I was Olympic silver medalist at 17. Um, then I took eight years out because I um, I went to University of America for a little while, actually, at Berkeley. But to maintain my scholarship, I had to swim and I really just needed a break. And that was in the days when you couldn't do that. So I came back and did a TV show, um, got paid £40, which is peanuts, as you'd imagine, at the same time as Sebastian Coe and Steve Evett were racing and earning a fortune and putting their money into a trust fund and swimming didn't have them. So I got branded a professional and I wasn't allowed to compete for eight years. And then I was working on the Olympics. So meantime, I went off and did all sorts of work in TV, working on the Olympics. And then Mary Peters, who's a very successful pentathlete over here, said to me, Sharon, don't spend the rest of your life saying, what if? get back in again. So at the ripe old age of nearly 29, <laughs> got back in the water again after eight years out and then did an Olympic Games in um, in Barcelona. So I've done 12 Olympic Games so far, three competing in three different Olympics and all of my medals, apart from Commonwealth medals, when we didn't have to race against East Germans, were, were silver and bronzes behind East Germans. So it was, a, it was a tough time. And, you know, I was one of the lucky ones that got on the podium because I managed to beat two of them. Um, I had friends that were fourth behind three East Germans, you know, whose whole lives would have been very, very different had they been standing on the top of the Olympic podium. So I partly fight for them as well. 
No doubt about that. I don't think people realize, first of all, you don't, you don't just take time off of swimming and get back into it, especially the amount of time that you did. So that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, and then of course I did lots of other stuff. You know, I was, I mean, like um, I've just been watching us gladiators on my Netflix. And of course I was a British gladiator and I presented breakfast television and I've worked for the BBC now for 29 years on the pool side. And when Michael Phelps became the most decorated Olympian in history in London, I got to be the first person to interview him, which was a pretty cool moment. Oh um, so I've done lots of other, you know, wonderful things around what sport has given me. It's given me those opportunities. No doubt. And as I mentioned, that gets lost. And so I just want to remind you, you're incredible, far beyond of what you're fighting for now. Um, but this issue, this issue of, of male advantage plaguing women's sports, it only recently came to light. I feel like for so many, including myself, I was really only became aware of this when I was slapped across the face with it in regards to Leah Thomas. But as you alluded to, this is something that you had experience of. You were well ahead of your time. I mean, 43 years ago, you saw this. Um, and so would you be able to touch on what that experience looked like um, competing against these Shermans? Yeah, so obviously it's the same end result, but it was a very different sort of process. So what was happening during the 70s and the 80s behind the Iron Curtain was that the East German Democratic Republic was giving very nasty steroids, anabolic steroids, steranabol, testosterone to these young girls, some of them as young as 11, and basically giving them a male puberty. And all the documentary evidence, because I did a documentary for British television afterwards, showed that they could make a, on average, some more, some less, but on average, a 9% improvement. So they could take a very average female swimmer and they could make them a world champion. And we would have um, East German athletes turning up to things like, even like the Olympics, and we'd never, ever seen them before. And they would literally arrive and smash world records. They looked and sounded like, you know, very masculine, they had deep voices, very large Adam Apple, bad skin, um, through no fault of their own. You know, I've never had a problem with these individuals. They were pawns of a horrible system. The people I have a big problem with is the IOC. And they allowed this to happen for 20 years. You know, they even had East German doctors sitting on international doping panels. So every time we came up with a way to try and catch them, they would find a way to, to you know, avoid being caught. Um, and this was allowed to go on for two decades. So imagine the number of females that missed out. However... Those females only missed out at international competitions and they predominantly missed out in swimming, track and field and rowing. What we've got now is 10 times worse because this is happening across every single sport, at every single level, in every single country. You know, so even things like parkrun in this country, which is a social event that happens at the weekend, women every single weekend in the UK are losing their course records to people who self-identify as women males that are self-identifying, ticking a box online, and we're losing dozens of records every weekend. You know, same with Strava. Strava enables people just to self-identify and course records on bikes are going all over the world that used to belong to people that are biologically female, to people now that are biologically male. And I suppose I was also part of the era where we used to do sex testing. You know, and that only really stopped in sort of in the 90s, I think it was. But it was the simplest thing in the world. It was a cheek swab to the inside of your mouth. And you had to do it once in your life because you cannot change your biological sex. And that was it. It meant that we could protect the female category, whether that was someone that was DSD, male, um, or whether that was someone that was self-identifying into a classification that their biology doesn't equal. You know, so I've been pushing very hard to say, right, we need to have a female classification, however that looks. Me, ideally, I'd love to bring back sex, sex, sex tests. 
Um, and then an open and inclusive category so that everyone is still welcome in sport. Because just like you, I'm sure, you want people to do sport. You know, you Absolutely. want people to be physically active, to be healthy, because it helps us both our body and our minds, you know, and, and in a world at the moment with mental health, particularly in young girls through the roof, we need people to be physically active. So it's the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is to ban anyone from sports. I just want Absolutely. to protect the opportunities for people that are biologically female to have equal chance of being able to win medals, put successes onto their national, you know, onto their CV going forward, get university scholarships, get places on teams, you know, be proud of records that they set, whatever it is. Females are worthy of equal opportunity. We are not second-class citizens, and I'm not prepared to sit back and pretend that we are. So, Amen. Oh, my gosh. It's, um, it's so true. There is no compromise for women. There is nothing that we should have to give up to ensure that trans athletes can compete. But that being said, trans athletes shouldn't be banned from sports. Of course not. And that's something that we see in the States a lot, especially in regards to state legislature being pushed, um, the opposition, they always say this is an anti-trans bill that bans trans athletes from competing. And that's simply not true. Um, everyone should be able to compete. There's so much value in playing sports outside of just what you can achieve athletically in regards to the characteristics you develop, which are lifelong. I'm sure it's it's given you the leadership to do exactly what you're doing um, in your modeling career, your TV career. I'm, I'm sure sports played a big part in that for you. Um, yeah, I think. It, it made me resilient, you know, and that's something yes. which is lacking from a lot of young people in particular is that resilience that we've 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 sort of built that out of the, the generation coming through. And I don't know how it is in America. I haven't been over there, you know, for a long time. I've been over there on holiday at different times, but I've I've not been over there living for a long time. But here in the UK, we we've been wrapping our kids in cotton wool and not having non you know competitive sports days and not allowing them to fail and and teaching them that failure is actually an opportunity to learn. And when you go for your job interview, there's going to be several of you, and only one of you is going to get the job. So, so learning that you every single failure is a lesson is really important, and that's one of the wonderful things that you know sport teaches you. Because out of eight people in that final, only one person is going to win. Um, and we go home and we go right. What did I do wrong? How do I fix that? How do I train harder? Do I change this? How do I eat better? How do I sleep better? You know, whatever it is that you need to to make your performance better, those are wonderful lessons that that we teach. So I think. Because my I had this whole East German thing going on, and my dad was quite tough. I mean, I broke both my arms when I was 11, and he wrapped them in plastic bags, and I trained with two broken arms. It's, I just learned to be very, very resilient as a kid, and um, and I suppose that's been quite useful, you know, particularly recently. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, we, we most certainly need resiliency in what we're doing. And so that leads me to the next question of, when did you first really feel the need to take that leap of faith and speak out against this? Yeah, I think it all went wrong when we started to include any males, you know, even people that, that had gone through surgery, which was happening pre-2015. But the IOC's ruling in 2015, which wasn't in time for the Rio Olympics, that surgery um, was taken off the table. All the people had to do was to self-identify. And then we had all of this total bogus rubbish with reduced testosterone levels, of which not a single one of ever any of those, you know, levels, whether it's five, two and a half or 10, has any scientific backing whatsoever. We know once a male has gone through male puberty, it's like boiling an egg. Once you've boiled that egg, you can't unboil it. And they have the, the benefits of, you know, bigger hands, being taller, uh, a Q angle, which is your hips to your knee angle. I mean, for example, in football, um, female footballers get six times as many knee injuries because we have a larger Q angle. 
Um, you know, males can put more power when they cycle on a bike because of the cue angle. They have a better stride because of the cue angle. They have larger hands, so that's better when you're a goalkeeper. You know, all of these different things are not things that reducing testosterone removes. So all of that was bogus. So when in 2015 the IOC removed any need for a male to have surgery, I think that was kind of the massive hurdle which had kept a lot of males out of female sports. Um, and that was when I could see that we literally had a train coming towards us, that we were going to end up with the same situation that we had with the East Germans, where, you know, they were dominating because of male puberty. Um, and that was what was going to happen. It was going to cascade, you know, and when it, they were saying, oh, it's only one or two, that's rubbish. And we all know that's rubbish. Once those trans-identifying males were able to succeed, it just encouraged others to do it more and more and more. And right now we have 50 in English football. We have 50 in cycling in North America. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds all over the world. And that's just the ones we know about. You right. know, it's not the ones that are self-identifying on at the weekend in park runs or Strava. Or, right. You know, these are just literally the ones that are high profile. Totally. And, and that's what I think people don't realize. Again, in the states here, especially in regards to state legislature, the opposition, they will say it's not really happening. You know, why should we create a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? Um, you know, it's just women's middle school basketball. Who cares? Um, and my question is, what message does that send to girls? It's just women's basketball. Who cares? And exactly. For them to not be proactive enough, how many women have to get hurt? How many women have to be exploited in the locker room? How many women have to lose out on opportunities before it does matter? And they do do something about it, which is, yeah. um, it's just crazy. And so my next question, we've talked a lot about the fairness of it. And, and of course, the issues that arise there. But outside of the fairness, what are some other issues that come along with allowing men into women's sports and women's spaces? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, the situation at the NCTAs with Leah Thomas was an exact, you know, a, a huge example where you young women were told that your feelings and your dignity did not matter at all, which was extraordinary. I mean, just extraordinary that this person, if they'd been out on the streets and identifying as, as male and then decided to undress, that would be against the law. But if they identify as a female and do that in front of you guys in a women's changing room, that's not. Well, that's not right, is it? You know, I mean, you can't just change location and change what comes out of your mouth and, and it makes the whole thing go away. I mean, that, it's just crazy. So again, this was about, you know, why can't we have de open debate about this? And you've got to remember that for, you know, for a very long time, as you will know, um, they did everything in their power to stop us debating, everything in their power to stop us presenting the scientific facts, everything in their power to stop us from having a voice to say no, we're not happy about this. And it took seven years for a governing body to ask a single female athlete how they felt about this. And they're still not asking female athletes, you know, on the whole. Um, I mean, we should have been doing anonymous polling from the word go. Um, and I just feel like this is a live experiment and, and women's sport just doesn't matter. And the thing that's probably the most frustrating is that this would never happen in men's sport. Men would never put up with this. They just would not. It would not happen. You know, if you look at the swimsuits, Many years ago, that was sorted out the moment Michael said, I won't race until you remove the swimsuits. They were removed. Then we had the carbon footwear. That was sorted out straight away. Oscar Pistorius, you know, wanted to run in the Olympics with his blades. The men were not putting up with it in case he beat them. You know, it, 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 if it affects men's sport, it will be sorted out. It's only women's sport that no one seems to care about. And we were li literally used as a 
oh well well we can't we'll just give in because it because it doesn't matter it's women's sport and that's what breaks my heart after all these years of us fighting for some sort of equality which we're nowhere near I mean, you know, the statistics will show you that we're absolutely nowhere near any form of parity whatsoever. Um, in the States, women get 1% of the sponsorship dollar that comes from sport. 4% of prime time sports airtime goes to women. And here in the UK, we have 1,000 women that earn their living from sport and 11,000 men. So we have nowhere near parity, you know. And now this little tiny piece of the cake, we were also, it was suggested that we should just budge over and give that up to men who felt like they were women, when in fact, they aren't biologically male and that will never change. You know, so I have great empathy, but that doesn't mean that women are supposed to give up their dreams and all the things that they want because somebody feels like that they're sex that they're not. And, and that's the truth of it. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that you bring up how men, they would put their foot down. And if you think about it, that's what we saw with Bud Light. Um, of course, it's it's typically men who drink Bud Light. And when they saw that they were being infringed on um, by the whole campaign with Dylan Mulvaney, they did put their foot down. And result of that was Bud Light lost over $27 billion. Yeah. Why do we as women, why aren't we taking that same position? And that's why I really am so grateful for you and your voice, because, of course, courage, it begets courage. And I think the more people look to you, look to me, look to Nancy Hogshead, look to all of these Amazing, yeah. accomplished, Martina, inspiring. You know, Martina. Yeah. I mean, it is. It, it, you're right. The problem is we're made slightly different, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, it's almost just expected of us that we put ourselves, you know, at the bottom of the line. You're not a mum yet. You will be one day. But, you know, I, I literally come behind the dog, you know. <laughs> you know, I have three kids and, and husbands and I was like right at the bottom with regards to what I wanted to do. And whenever I fought to have equal recognition or, or my time to do my things, it was hard going, you know. And it, it's almost like it's a woman's lot. That's what they do. It is. And why should we do that? Why, you know, why is it our job to put ourselves second, third and fourth on the list? And I think we're almost trained. And I think if I'm really honest, I do think a lot of the gender idea at the moment is a man's rights movement. Yes. You know, whenever Daley Thompson speaks out, who is a really good friend of mine, Daley gets a hundreds of the abuse that I get. He could say yes. exactly the same thing and he gets a hundred and it really hardly impacts his working career at all. Mine has been crippled because, you know, vile men ring every single one of my the companies that I work for, every single one of the charities that I've worked for for years for free, um, all the people that I associate with, they've even picked on my children, you know, because I've got mixed race kids and they abuse them. And and that's the one thing that I find very difficult to deal with. The rest of it, well, I'll bring it on because, you know, I'm, I've got pretty thick skin. But my kids, really, um, it, it, there is nothing that's off limits as far as they're concerned to punish no. you for having a voice. And it no. is predominantly men. But that's what they resort to, right? They resort to these personal attacks. They resort to petty name calling, they'll call you every name under the sun, whether that's transphobic, homophobic. I'm, I'm sure you get called racist for fighting. I do. I get called racist. How, how does that work? You know, with mixed race kids, but they don't yeah. care. And it's not based on any fact whatsoever. It's literally a tool to beat you over the head with to try to shut you up. Yes, absolutely. Okay. In response to that, have you had a lot of positive response and positive feedback from speaking out? Yes, I mean, very much from people from, you know, sportswomen themselves, from parents. Yeah, the book yeah. is really going down really well. And that was done to try and arm people, to give them all the facts, to get rid of all the terrible gotchas that are based in no science whatsoever, total and utter lies that are constantly repeated. 
Um, I just wanted to arm people as much as I could. You know, I've, I've been involved in the argument now since 2015. That's a long time. And I've made it my business to know the science really, really well, to be aware of, of the whole of the, the transgender ideology problem. But obviously, I specialize in sport because it's what, you know, what I know. I've been involved in elite sport for 50 years. So I know it inside out, back to front. And I obviously was there during that East German period as well. And so, you know, I stick to my little space, which is sport, but obviously I'm very, very aware of, of everything else that's going on. And, right. and I do, I, you know, I do very, very strongly believe that this will be one of the biggest medical scandals in history in years to come. Um, yeah. it's, it's quite frightening what we're doing to young people. Yeah, no doubt. And um, I guess that leads into my next question, because for me personally, when I was affected by this um, a little over a year ago, I only saw this as as a women's sports issue. But now I've, of course, I've been able to take a step back and see the bigger picture. And I constantly ask myself the question of why, you know, mm. why are they asking us to deny man versus woman, which is the sheer essence of humanity? I hate to break it to you guys, but everyone is here because of man and woman. And they're asking us to to deny what it is to be a woman or a man or, or vice versa. And so I've been able to take a step back and see the bigger picture. And as you mentioned, just how many realms are being affected by this and ultimately the bigger picture of the war on women. And so in your experience, have you seen that? I mean, have you seen this affect places like prisons? I, I mean, that to me is mind boggling. You have these men who are convicted rapists and, and they have committed heinous awful crimes, yet they're realizing all you have to do to get into a woman's prison is say, I am a woman, which sounds great to these men who, again, are con convicted of, of sexual crimes. And they're getting into women's prisons and they're impregnating women. And, and I know that's been an issue over in the States. Um, I, I know over in Europe, you guys have struggled with that on uh, a little bit of your swap of, with yourselves. And so I wanted to see if, if what the broader picture picture looks like to you and when you've asked yourself the question of why, why do you think? Yeah, really good question, isn't it? It's a really big question. It's, it's one of our biggest questions of the day at the moment. Why is this happening and who is paying for it? Where is the money coming from to lobby organizations like the, you know, the ACLU and Stonewall that used to be on the side of fairness and, and, you know, real minority groups. And now it just seems to be tyrannical, you know, which is just quite, quite daunting. I just don't understand. And mainstream media, why are they not doing documentaries and why asking the bigger questions and wanting to follow the money? You know, that's, this is, these are the things which I find quite mind boggling, really, that there's been so much capture. Um, quite scary, to be honest. And I mean, I, I'm I'm of that era. I'm, I'm much older than you, but I'm of that era where my mum and my grandma, in particular, pushed back so hard against stereotypes. And we seem to be going down to this ridiculous, you know, aisle now of of trying to put everybody in boxes and stereotyping. And so, a female isn't really just someone that has a large gamete. A female is someone that wears high heels, lipstick, and has, you know, a red miniskirt on. Well, that's not a female. That's a stereotype that society is pushing. So a female is just biologically a female, however she chooses to look or dress or behave, okay? And, and that, again, is regressive because we fought yeah, so hard yeah. to get away from these stereotypes. I believe that if you're male and you want to be as feminine as you want to be, good on you. That's what acceptance is and vice versa. You know, a female that wants to be as butch and as masculine as they want to be, that's acceptance. And that's where we should be going. Not saying that you have to change your biological sex and be medicalized for the rest of your life. I mean, that's just insane. 
Um, yeah, we should be asking more questions about why that is happening when we fought so hard to move away from stereotypes. No, I entirely agree. And, and you're right. Um, they do it in the name of inclusion. They do it in the name of love and acceptance and tolerance and welcoming and embracing diversity. But in my experience, they haven't embraced diversity. Um, they don't embrace diverse thought. Uh, and it's not inclusive to ask us as women to smile and step aside and allow these men onto our podiums, accepting our titles and our awards and our scholarships. That's not in inclusive. That's exclusive to the yeah. very female. Well, that's athlete. what we're finding, aren't we? We're finding that women yes. are excluding themselves. So for here in, in this country, for example, in something like rugby, although, you know, world rugby has been pretty good, certain parts of, of the UK, we still have very strong um, pressure um, and so, you know, dads are turning up with their young daughters to play rugby, which is an extremely dangerous contact sport. And they will see that there are transgender women, transgender girls, males are identifying as the opposite sex on the opposite team. And what they're doing is they're just pulling their girls off the field because they're just saying, my daughter, it's not worth my daughter breaking a neck or breaking her arm or having a life changing injury to play her sport. So women are self-excluding because they just don't want to do this, you know, at a time when we should be trying to encourage more people to be involved in sport. The whole point of Title IX was to do that and it did it beautifully. And now it's, you know, it, it's being, it's almost being wrecked and, and please God, it's not wrecked, but it's um, it's very close to it, right. you know, and it's such a wonderful right. tool to offer equality. Well, we have an administration over here and if it was up to them entirely, it would be wrecked. And that, that's what they're going towards is they're rewriting Title IX to where, it's no longer preventing discrimination on the basis of sex. It is preventing discrimination on the basis of gender identity. And this affects more than just sports, actually. It's men can join sororities. Men can live in dorm rooms with women. They would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces. On top of taking athletic scholarships, men could take academic scholarships away from women. Yep. And that's what our administration over here in the States, that's what they think of women um, and young girls, which is... And that's why I say it's misogyny. It's literally just misogyny room 101, isn't it? This isn't, you know, this is all that it's a men's rights movement at the moment. Yes. It's, it's, men, it's, it's men mansplaining what it is to be a feminist, which is so comical, right? It's like, it's satire. Um, or a lesbian. You know, someone, <laughs> someone that has a penis cannot possibly be a lesbian. You know, no. it's sex. It's someone who who's attracted to someone of the same sex. Some right. of biological sex and our and our we've worked so hard to get you know great understanding of homosexuality and and in some ways this feels like it's even pushing back on that as well you know and that's quite worrying too because make great strides have been made for people that are homosexual over the last few decades and and this is not healthy you know it really no. isn't it's, you know, it's much bigger than sport you know as you say and I tend to stick to sport because I know all the stats I know all the figures I know all the science and I can spread them off you know every day um the rest of it I leave to other wonderful feminists who are fighting those corners as well but I think to do our job properly in sport we have to be aware of this of the bigger picture absolutely um and Sharon I cannot be more proud to be in this fight with you as I mentioned, you really are an inspiration to me and so many others. And I constantly look at your page for wisdom, for um, understanding different arguments and different things. And so, again, I could not be more grateful for you. Uh, well, um, the accomplishments you've achieved, you're, you're a trailblazer for women. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to, again, talk about your book. Where can people buy it? What can people expect from it? Okay, It's amazing. So I've read through it and I, I couldn't recommend it enough. 
Um, so it's called Unfair Play, and it's the battle for women's sport. And the whole idea is to show that even someone like Pierre de Coubertin, you know, that we're supposed to be celebrating next year at the Olympics in Paris, did everything in his power to keep women out of the Olympic Games. And it's the battles we've had throughout the whole of the last hundred years, really, um, and where we were starting to win and, and the pushback. And then it's the science. It's explaining what happened with the East Germans. It's explaining all the bureaucracy as well. It's explaining how difficult it's been for women to get on committees and on boards and how when I won my medal in 1980, there was not a single woman sitting on the IOC you know, board. Um, and even now, the women that we have sitting on the IOC boards come from the Middle East or North Korea. Yeah, those, those huge, great big nations that have so many winning women, right? Irony. Um, so, you know, it, it's trying to get women who are powerful and strong and have a good voice. Uh, we talk about Nancy, you know, how Nancy does such amazing things, but because Nancy isn't a handmaiden, she's been pushed to the side. You know, and those are the women that should be in positions of authority, sitting on boards that fight, you know, fight for women. Um, so it's all of that. And it's a handbook for parents and for teachers and for people that run sports clubs to be able to use so that they can fight back with the actual facts and the actual information and not have people throwing gotchas at them, which are just not true. You know, whether it's talking about Semenya and DSDs or, or inferring the, the word intersex means some form of hermaphrodite, which does not exist. There are only two sexes, small gamete, large gamete. There is no gametes. That's a bit a mixture of both. You know, it doesn't exist. And DSDs exist, but it's a tiny minority. And again, they're still male or female. Okay. So yeah. there are anomalies of sexual development. They're not someone who becomes both sexes. And these are it's misinformation that's being used to create a smokescreen. And so I wanted the book to be able to, you know, do all of that, defog it all, and hopefully arm people to, to fight the battle. Absolutely. I love how you mentioned it equips people with with the right information, with effective messaging, how to communicate about it, what to do. Um, really powerful. You you mentioned in your book, you had a quote, I think it's from Cynthia, Cynthia, Cynthia Millen. Um, and it says, bodies compete against bodies, gender identities don't swim, which is, yeah. that's the basis of the argument. How, how do we marshal feelings? It's It's ridiculous. You know, Absolutely. if we turn around and say that we're going to accept a feeling that says someone can feel like a male or a female, depending on their feeling, not the reality of their body, where does that stop? You know, what's the next feeling that's going to trump a reality? And we're not doing our kids any favors by not dealing with the truth. You know, it's it's by by telling young children that they're going to be able to change sex when they're not. They're going to have to take medication for the rest of their life. They're going to have to do things to their bodies, which will probably shorten their lives. And having watched those young East German girls who've paid with their health for the rest of their lives because of those drugs that they were given, you know, as young girls, I know damn well that, that this is, is not a happy ending, you know, um, either way. So I wanted to to sort of just show all of that, just show all of the things that I've seen over 50 years of being involved in sport. A big thank you to Sharon Davies for coming on today and engaging in conversation. Um, make sure you check out her book, Unfair Play. It really is a phenomenal book that will equip you with the right information on how to tackle this and how to defend yourselves, defend your daughters. Uh, check out Gains for Girls podcast. This is a new venture. Super exciting, super fun. Make sure you check it out on outkick.com and anywhere where you stream your podcasts. We can't wait to see you next time.